Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 149 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Library's podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I am your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Marico. So, Jacob, last time we recorded, you know, you had a little hitch to your giddy-up. You, uh, you had a little limp, and you said that you had stepped on some glass. I did. I... And that you didn't fully get it out of your foot, so you were a little bummed. Is yeah. there any update on that? Oh, I yeah. imagine just nothing has happened at all. And no, it's a... <laughs> no, it's been a completely different, a pr- completely innocuous couple of days. <laughs> so I actually, believe it or not, Michelle, have to go get surgery on it tomorrow <laughs> to get the glass removed because it is all kinds of in my heel right now. How did you get glass that far into your foot? I apparently just stepped on it and then walked on it too much. And oh. then it just so happens <laughs> that they're like, okay, we... Like, not to get too graphic into it, but they, like, you know, cut into my foot and went in there twice. No. And then nah. they were, like, poking around in there. Oh. He, he could, like, find Stop, it. please. Like, he found it, and he, like, couldn't get it out. And it's never a good thing when, you're, when your doctor's getting mad. Because he's just like, why won't this come out? <laughs> he's like, let me give it more elbow. I'm sure to you, all of this felt very pleasant. Oh, it was a delight. Yeah, I, you know what? Don't ever get needles shoved in the bottom of your foot. If you can avoid it. Just don't you know, do it. I have it. had that. I've had needles in my big toe. Oh, no, thank you. Not a fan. No, thank you. You know what? Maybe in <clears throat> honor of you next week, maybe we can do an episode of like weirdest injuries in movies or something. Oh, that's pretty good. Right? Assu- I thought we could make that happen. Assuming that I live, of course. You, know, you got <laughs> to remember that. That's uh... Assuming. Um, okay, so on to better news than poor Jacob. This month is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So it is time for recognizing the contributions and influence of Asian Americans and Pacific Islander Americans to the history, culture, and achievements of the United States. I mean, we kicked it off with the Oscars, man. They're winning up and down two years in a row. Like, finally. And we did some, we had some uh, female Asian um, actresses episode. So it is about time that we're giving people their due. This uh, show does huge in Asia, everybody. I don't know if you knew that. It's, <laughs> it's at least four to five times. I believe that you believe that. So the month of May was chosen to commemorate two important anniversaries. So first is the arrival of the first Japanese immigrant in the U.S., which was on May 7th, 1843, and the completion on May 10th, 1869, of the first transcontinental railroad, which could not have been built without the labor of thousands of Chinese workers. Yes, we'll call it labor. We won't call it like forced slavery at all when it comes to yeah, that's what a was whole actually going on. Read up on that history. But before we are going to get into that, we have a guest today. You bet we do. You bet it. So are you familiar with Buffalo Creative Mornings? Uh, yeah, actually, don't they? They work with the library, don't they? Like, I feel like they've helped us out a lot. You got it. Okay, so in 2008, Tina Roth Eisenberg started Creative Mornings Buffalo out of a desire for an ongoing accessible event for New York's creative community. So it is a simple concept, but a great one, of breakfast and a short talk one Friday morning a month. And that every event would be free of charge and open to anyone. I do like breakfast. That's a great way to get people in the door. Yeah, that's it. You like breakfast. You're like, oh, art and then breakfast. So (laughs) Buffalo is lucky enough to have their own chapter of that. It started in 2016. And we hosted them at the library for a couple of years on the second Friday of each month. But believe it or not, COVID 
<laughs> stopped that for now, but they are still going on virtually. Okay, cool. Okay. And we're, so like I said, we are lucky to have a guest today, um, which is Naila Ansari, and she is a professional dancer and faculty at Buffalo State. And she's returning to Creative Mornings Buffalo to their conversation on May 14th virtually. Okay, cool. So if you go to creativemornings.com and you search Buffalo, you will see past talks, upcoming events, and then you can sign up to join in online next week. All right. Well, let's do it, everybody. You like let's, that? Okay, so everybody this. get ready and let's meet Naila. Hi, Naila. Nice to meet you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. How are you all doing this morning? We're doing okay. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. It's a it's a Thursday. That's always a positive. It's right, right yes, yes. the week. I'm like, I'm out of here in one Almost, day. almost, almost done. <laughs> almost done. Yes, please. So I'm excited for your upcoming event. How long have you worked with Creative Mornings Buffalo? Oh wow. So I've I've been to Creative Mornings for quite a while since I moved back to Buffalo, which is now three and a half years ago. Um, and I did a community takes the stage last year, and this will be my second time back um, this upcoming, well, next Friday, May 14th. Okay. So what are, what are you talking about? Can you tell us a little bit about your specialty? Yeah. So the theme for Creative Mornings um, this month is with heart and my research is on joy. So we'll be discussing all the different ways um, I found joy and discovered joy through the different interview um, processes and, and performance. Um, not just here locally in Buffalo, but where I've been, what I've been doing also nationally as well. So we'll have conversations on what, what does joy mean? What does that look like in terms of performance? And what does it look like to archive and collect joy in the community? Yes, please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> joy around here. Particularly now, right? Like we all, we all need joy. <laughs> Seriously, that's like incredibly important. Did this idea, is this something you've been working on for a long time or was it the effects of like how everyone has been just kind of languishing since 2020? Yeah, so I've been working on it for three years now. Um, I actually started as, as a as a, my thesis work um, as an MFA graduate student at UB in dance. So that was kind of how this all started. I was going through a, a difficult time in, in life and, you know, being a single mom, going through a divorce. So it was all of those things happening at one time. And I had an advisor named Trey Van Pollard. He's like, well, what else are you like in search for? Cause like, this is not serving you right now. Like we can't yeah. be angry <laughs> about racism and everything else all of the time. Like what else do you need to get you through these moments? And uh, it's joy. That was just what popped in my head. And so ever since then I've came on a journey and as an artist and an educator and choreographer, I knew it mostly through movement, but the project has expanded to film, uh, definitely documentary style um, interviews. I take different interviews from folks and I uh, create a performance with different art partners, one of them being uh, Marquise 10,000 Burton, who is a uh, spoken word artist. So we really take all of the words and the different movement that each, each person gets to pick their song and dance to it. And that really becomes the, the stage for the performance in each community that we go to. Oh, that sounds wonderful. So it's like, so different people come up with their own medium that they feel will help them find their joy? Yes. So I start with three questions, like kind of prompts. Um, and it's, it's always interesting because people don't usually know how to answer it because they're usually not often asked about their joy. Sure. Um, they're asked about their happiness, but joy, there's always these like kind of moments. And so I've, I've taken in terms of research what all of these different 
folks, and I started predominantly with Black women elders in the Buffalo community as, as the start of the project. And it's, it's fascinating because they, what most people say fit in four categories of play, um, community, resistance, and self. And so I've, I've come to understand joy if we have it in all four of those spaces that, that you find it in totality. And, and the idea of like the, when we look at it from a spiritual place that when you find it um, consistently and when you find it with contentment is that the highest level of joy as opposed to kind of the more ecstatic spaces that we think that we always have it or know it to be true like weddings or babies and things like that. Not saying that's not joy, but <laughs> on a daily basis, how do we find it? Yeah, no, I love this. I was actually just looking at this. Um, I was like, the New York Times was talking about some university that had a actual course about kind of like finding your happiness and how to express that and learning about gratitude and service. And they actually like made the course free now. So I was talking to my husband, like, should we take that? But it's like very long. It's like 12 sessions. So I'm like, yeah, I'll be tuning in because this sounds like I can get back to this. I'm working on one um, right now at Buffalo State within Women and Gender Studies, and I'm also in Africana Studies at Buffalo State as well in theater. So we're working on uh, building a new course as well. But yes, happiness courses, they have them at Harvard, a guy named Sean Anchors is big in uh, happiness courses. So I'm glad that it's, it's, it's developing out of the academy, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting tired myself just hearing all these different activities. You got like three different committees going on and three things you got planned. It's, 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 it's a, it's like, a lot yeah. of stuff. Is it, I don't know, I can't decide. Does that say something negative or positive about our society that, is it negative that we have such a hard time finding our joy or is it just positive that that's a natural thing and that we have people like you trying to help us find it again? Yeah, I definitely think it's a yes and. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I say that is because we often don't think that we can find joy in what we consider negatives. Yeah. Right. And I think that's a lot of the work that I've been doing, particularly speaking to Black women, is that our, 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 our life is not easy and our journey isn't necessarily easy either. And so when we find those and when we find those joys within that, right, because joy is also an emotion that you can have with another emotion simultaneously. Right, and it's really just a shift of perspective. So I, I like to think of it as, yes, it's an awakening, if you will. I don't necessarily know that it's a negative, but I'm, I'm glad to see it be, and it does make me feel positive. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like doing a non-answer to your answer a little bit. No, no, it's um, but <laughs> it's really, Jacob am, and I are already happier because- <laughs> I am finding my joy at this exact yes, yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah, I, I do think it's an awakening um, because we did, and, and, and we're still in, in a lot of ways, such a hard and difficult time. And if we can just find those moments where it makes it a little bit easier, because I think it would be overly optimistic to say that life is like super positive all the time, you know, I, I which can be the problem with self-help books. And that's what I struggle with in this research. When I read a lot, I have to read a lot of self-help books. And sometimes as much as I love them, it's like, okay, this, this sounds real easy, but I need like, I need the like pitfalls. Like I need you yeah, to- <laughs> Yeah. tell me to get up and walk in the morning and I'll be right. here like give me yeah. something a little more tangible yes and I've really discovered that joy and resistance is really more of joy as resilience oh um, that's great there's yeah. your there's yeah. your tagline yes <laughs> that's perfect put that one on the t-shirt right there yeah I need that I need that t-shirt for sure <laughs>
Well, I'm really looking forward to this. This sounds really great. I mean, we're big fans of creating Morning Buffalo. So hopefully eventually they'll be back in the building. Um, yes. You know, it was really miss nice. you all. My last one. I was the last group in the building. Oh, you were? <laughs> Before COVID, the community takes the stage. Oh, see, now this feels even more special then. Yes, 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 yes. Exactly. So. Bring, it, uh, bring it back then. We got to start where we start, stopped last time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is great. So um, it is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So whenever we have a guest, we always like to get some sort of recommendation as a library for either a movie or maybe a book. Do you have anything that you could recommend that would be an Asian author? Yeah, so Chang Rai Lee is my book that I'm reading right now, My Year Abroad. Okay. Um, it's fantastic. And it's really looking at what we just talked about, the joys of looking at it in terms of such a travel like journey, um, but those trials and tribulations that come with that and the ultimate kind of understanding of joy through all of that. So that that is my book that I'm like starting and well, that I've started and uh, I love it so far. Well, he's also a wonderful author too. He so. really is. I've read it. <laughs> like, anything you read, I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That one's on the list. Added to the huge list. But yeah, that sounds great. Thank you so much, Naila, for being on the show. We're hoping to have more people in the future to kind of get people interested again in Creative Mornings Buffalo. So we appreciate this so much. Yeah, thank you for having me and uh, looking forward to seeing you all May 14th. You definitely will. Yeah. You definitely will. Okay, <laughs> take care. Have a good one. Um, I love her. I think we got ourselves a new favorite guest, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I can't wait for her program. I mean, it sounds fabulous. It sounds really good. I, could, sounds... I know, I could use some joy, let me tell you. I'm watching well. <laughs> the saber season. Jeez Louise. <gasps> you, can, you can need it when you're, when you're limped up at home, <laughs> not know, able to walk. You when, can definitely tune in. When slowly in the back of my uh, head, Bone Thugs and Harmony starts playing, I'll be like, oh, no, it's truly time. Oh, yeah, what a stupid, weird thing that somebody would have every, to even know. Anyway, every, everybody between the ages of 33 and 42 are dying right let's now. Let's move on. We're going to get back to celebrating <laughs> Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And we wanted to take an opportunity to shine a light on some of the new books from Asian American authors. And it was... Um, Really awesome that she recommended a Chang Rae Lee book because he is a really good author. I, I read Native Speaker by him many years ago. Very excellent. Look at you ahead of the curve on the Asian authors. <laughs> I mean, I read everybody. And when we talk about books here, we tried to keep the genres, styles, and topics all kind of varied and diverse as the Asian American population, um, which, after all, we're talking about Americans with roots in more than 20 different countries. So they are very varied. Um, so there should be plenty of stuff here to keep you reading all year long. So I'm going to start with a book that I recently finished last month. It is called Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. Um, this is a fantastic book. It's a deeply personal novel about race, pop culture, immigration, assimilation, and kind of escaping the roles that we're forced to play. So the character in the book is Willis Wu. And he doesn't perceive himself as a protagonist in his own life. He calls himself generic Asian man. Um, yeah. But sometimes he'll be background oriental making a weird face or disgraced son. Like he's kind of taking all of those stereotypes that have been oh, in film and bringing them into the book. So the book is actually written like a screenplay, but it's his life. So every day he leaves his tiny room in Chinatown and he enters the Golden Palace restaurant where Black and White, which is a procedural cop show, no. is in perpetual production like in his life. So it's like his his real life but it's like a show 
Um, and he's even a bit player in it. And his goal is to become Kung Fu guy because that's the most respected role that anyone who looks like him can ever obtain. Huh. Or is it? You know what I mean? So that's kind of what he's grappling with. And it's a really daring novel. It feels very fresh. I love the style that it's written in. Highly recommend it. That sounds like a fun concept. I'm right giving there. that one two thumbs up. I'm going to have to think about that. It's almost a healthy way to cope with a menial existence, I must say. It's really terrible, though, when he's like describing like the Asian characters. You're like, oh, God, I know exactly everyone he's talking about. And I feel terrible because this is what you see in every movie with Asian characters. So I'm glad that we're moving away from that. But what do you got? All right, so I'm going to go with uh, Little Gods by Meng Jin. I don't know if you've... Uh, it's a I've seen the up. cover. Yeah, so I figured it looks like something's going to be kind of interesting. So uh, the story is about a woman who gives birth in a Beijing hospital alone, mm-hmm. and then that is the point at which her life starts to unravel. Okay, so, why? Uh, that you got to read the book to find oh, that out. Oh, man. <laughs> so when she unexpectedly dies uh, 17 years later, her daughter Lila is going to have to go on a search for a truth about what was going on with her mom. Why? What was her mom like? Because your mom never talked about it in life, about what was going on before sure. that moment okay. 17 years ago. So it's basically a daughter's trip through her mom's murky past to find out like what was going on, what was she before that, why... Did she have everything? Oh, I bet that's gonna get kid. that's gonna get deep. Oh, it's gonna get. It seems like it's gonna get pretty dark. I gotta say, um, but it looks like it's gonna be one of those. I always love the ones where it seems like a stupid thing to say, where they explain everything at the end. You know, like yeah. normal narrative structure. Yeah. But where they leave you a lot of answers and it all comes together in one little final. I moment. do love that. So you know, come check it out, everybody. Hopefully, it doesn't have it doesn't end like the game, but. You know, that's my outside idea. <laughs> you just for say it. the weirdest things. Okay, I want to talk about Land of Big Numbers by T. Ping Chen. I have this book at home on my shelf. It has a beautiful cover, but I haven't gotten to it yet. But I have read that it is stirring and brilliant. It's a debut story collection. And this is offering vivid portrayals of the men and women of modern China in its um, diaspora, both as like a love letter and a sharp social criticism. And um, I do love sharp social criticisms. I mean, the the author was a reporter with the Wall Street Journal for a real for a long time. Um, and I guess it's just considered like this new big literary talent. And she's tracing the journeys of the diverse, diverse and legion Chinese people, their history, their government, um, and how all of that has tumbled really messily and violently and yet still beautifully into the present. So, yeah, I'm really excited about that. And like I said, good cover. And I know you're not supposed to judge a, bur- a book by that, but, like, I totally do. All right, bud, back at you. Oh, it's up to me again already. Okay, so the next one I'm going with is We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry. Okay. So this book is set in Danvers, Massachusetts. I know one of your favorite places in Massachusetts because <laughs> it was the uh, the home of the witch trials or, you know, a bunch of them. Not sure. Um, so it is the story follows a field hockey team who may be getting extra help from the dark forces. I don't know if that's It sounds that's like a very Jacob on. book. It's got sports <laughs> and dark forces. I get it. Um, but it's a story of, uh, you know, it's a story about, it's a sports book. So it's about a team, but it's also like a story about feminism and feminism through sports. Like, it's a good way to express yourself to get your more inner feelings out of that. And 
like I said, anytime we get the chance to throw some witch work into our <laughs> books. We're doing it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on a Sabrina fix right now, man. The show's gone. I, I guess got what was in, and then it's gone so All fast. All right. Anyone else feeling that can grab this book. Yeah. If, if you need to get yourself some uh, Massachusetts witches, go check this one out, guys. I think it's going to be pretty good. Okay. Um, I want to talk about the book Eat a Peach by David Chang. <laughs> no. I love David Chang. So he is the chef behind Momofuku. Do you know that? And the star of Netflix's Ugly Delicious. Do you ever watch that show? Uh, I have watched that show. It's a good show. It's a really good show. He's very, he's super, super interesting. And it's a really, the book is an intimate account of the making of a chef and the story of the modern restaurant world that he helped shape and that he discovered, you know, that success can be much harder um, to understand than even failure. Well, yeah. You know, so he... I look at some successful people all the time, and I'm just like, how? Why? So he really lays bare, like, his mistakes and wonders about his extraordinary luck as he recounts, you know, all the series of events that led him to being the top of his profession. It's like something that he grapples with, like, why me? Why did this work out for me and not so many other people? And then he's also wrestling with lifelong feelings of otherness and inadequacy. He explores the mental illness that almost killed him um, and then kind of finds hope in the shared value of deliciousness. I I really, David Chang is, is a super interesting person and if you're into food or restaurant life this is full of unflinching honesty about the industry's history um, of brutishness which I think we learned a lot um, from Anthony Bourdain but highly recommend reading it and please please check out Ugly Delicious on Netflix I, I immediately am more interested in that guy's book because he said no the luck that was involved in him getting to where he is like, sure like people... you work hard but it's also like a flip of a coin yeah, too that tells me somebody's being honest about it. he's like that's not just because I'm good guys it's because I got pretty lucky as yeah, well sure that was a thing also so don't you watch a lot of Asian uh, TV shows yeah, yeah I, get, I get sucked down to that that whirlpool every once in a while I definitely have seen way too many well I wanted to stick with books but can you give us some shows though for people that are looking to check out something new um yeah I think I can come okay so yeah, quick order I guess because we don't want to run out of time on it uh the obvious one right now is Demon Slayer it's the number one movie oh. at the box office super obvious animated <laughs> one about a lot of ones about monsters taking over people so that's like the number one is movie this a in cartoon it is a cartoon this oh. one's a cartoon okay got some others that aren't though one for you, Romance is a Bonus Book, show out of Korea. It's about uh, it's a romantic comedy about the goings-on in a book publishing store. I don't understand what you watch. Okay, what else? <laughs> uh, Agritsuko on Netflix, uh -huh. the story of the heavy metal singing uh, red panda bear who <laughs> works in an office all day. It's another delightful little I can't manga. decide if this is just weird for Heritage Month. What else do you have? So Goblin, the great <laughs> and powerful. <laughs> The number one. Why did I ask? This that? was the number one show in Korea. Oh Michelle, when I went to uh, Quebec, uh, there are people mm. from Korea who go to Quebec and do the Goblin Tour so they can walk <laughs> around and visit the uh, sites from the TV show. Wow. Including this very famous red door that's just a random door in Quebec. People like line up to take their picture with it. Wow. It's a show about an immortal god who just happens to be called a goblin for reasons I'm not totally is sure this why. A, is this real life or like is this 
cartoon or no? This is live a live action, action one. Okay. It's, dude, it's just a dude. I don't know. I don't remember why he's called a goblin, but he's called. This is not one. what I was expecting. Is, are you done, or are there more in your head? Oh my God! There's Vincenzo, the <laughs> South Korean uh, consigliere of an Italian mob family who Where decides he's going to take it all. you all these like South Korean soap <laughs> operas? What else? There Can is, you do more? There's Kingdom, <laughs> which is the South Korean vamp or zombie apocalypse. Oh, I did the watch Ages. that. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> Sweet Home. Oh, my. This is unreal. <laughs> Those one was based on, like, a comic series where uh, basically Korea people start getting off and on infected by demons and they become different kinds of monsters. A lot of, a lot of demons. There's a real they theme. They love them, dude. The uncanny, uncanny Counter. I can't. Where four people get in, uh, inhabited by souls that make them into superheroes and they have to go kill evil demons that are killing regular humans. This explains so much about you. I'm stopping you. I feel like we're going to be here all day. I am they're, glad I asked. Dude, they're, they're famous. There's so much good stuff that nobody's watching. Okay. If you want to see people cry and then wonder about how the funniest thing about watching these Asian dramas is that everybody drinks or eat drinks, eats like seven course breakfasts. It always astounds me, like, let's have breakfast. They come downstairs, there's like five plates full of food, and they're like, okay, let's have it to start the day. And I feel like they'd eat two bites. Oh, it, no, they eat the whole thing, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> okay, moving on. That was a diversion. I got more people. I'm going <laughs> to talk Michelle into that episode. One Please, day. no. I want to talk about the last story of Mina Lee by Nancy Ju Young Kim. You might have seen this book. I believe this is one of the Reese Witherspoon book club picks everything she picks becomes humongous um but this is a profoundly moving and unconventional mother-daughter saga which illustrates the devastating realities of being an immigrant in america um margo lee's mother mina isn't returning her calls which is really mysterious to margo because she always does so she goes to visit her childhood apartment in koreatown in la and finds that her mother has suspiciously died oh so the discovery sends Margot digging through the past and unrailing all of these kind of weird invisible strings that held together her single mother's life as a Korean War orphan and an undocumented immigrant. And then she realizes how little she truly knew about her mother. And it sounds really, you know, similar to the book that you mentioned. Like, this is definitely something that I think American-born um Asian people kind of struggle with if their parents aren't really talking about their past and the mm-hmm. things that they went through. And yeah, it's it's really, it's powerful. It, it's exquisitely woven for a debut novel um, that's really covering all the big ones like identity, family secrets, and what it means to belong. It's a perfect book for this month. And like I said, Reese doesn't pick them if they're garbage. No, she, she picks the good ones. She picks the good ones. She picks the ones that can be monetized. So you better bet. You, <laughs> That's you bet also your, true. You bet your bottom dollar if Reese Witherspoon's got her name on it. There, there's something about this book you're gonna like. Yeah, I believe that. All right. Uh, how about Machine Hood by S. B. Divya. You know, I saw that book and I wondered if you were going to mention it because it sounded pretty cool. Wilga Ramirez is about to retire in 2095 when her client is killed by a terrorist looking to stop production of a pill that keeps humans alive indefinitely. <sighs> who would want such a thing? Okay. Well, who would want such a thing? Well, only the terrorist groups who are half human, half machine dun, dun, dun. that are looking to change society as a whole. Everything about this book is like, that's a Jacob book right there, man. Well, 100%. Cyborgs, we got some pharmaceutical <laughs> living, we got the future. Oh, dude. dude. Yeah, that sounds super cool, actually. I, but get it it's now. It's on my list. I'm get, adding it up. Get, that is going to be on Netflix in two years. 
almost 100 percent guarantee yeah, you probably right? you probably know and that. i will watch it <laughs> i will watch it and you will roll your eyes when i explain <laughs> the premise to you accurate um okay i'm gonna do two more because we're pretty much out of time but um i want to recommend saigon like s-i-g-h oh, i see what gone. you did there. you like that a misfits memoir of great books punk rock and the fight to fit in by Fook Tran. So it's for anyone who has ever felt like they don't belong. This is a funny and moving tale of displacement and assimilation. It's kind of woven together through works of classic literature. So in the during the fall of Saigon in 1975, this Fook Tran um, immigrated to America with his family and ended up in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. That's a definite ended up in, right? Yes, a small town where he really struggled. So this is a coming-of-age memoir, and like I said, it's told through the themes of great books, like the Metamorphosis and the Scarlet Letter and the Mm. Iliad and such. So it's a really interesting um, theme. And again, we got teenage rebellion and feelings of isolation and you know sadly this is a real theme in a lot of the memoirs from Asian Americans um it kind of gives you a feel of like fresh off the boat or running with scissors like that kind of Mm, funny memoir yeah absolutely and just his experiences with racism and tragedy but also like books and punk rock so, you know, you're not going to like, it's not all serious and sad, but it's really great. And then this one, this book was huge, okay? It's called How Much of These Hills is Gold by Se- C. Pam Zhang. 37%. <laughs> Shut up. This was a New York Times Notable Book of the Year, a Washington Post Notable Book of the Year, one of Barack Obama's favorite books of the year, one of our NPR's best books of the year. It was long listed for the Booker Prize. It came out last year. Everybody's talking about this book. It is a debut novel, and it is set against the twilight of the American gold rush. And there's two siblings, and they're on the run, and they're trying, you know, to survive but also find a home. Ba dies in the night, and Ma is already gone. So now we have newly orphaned children of immigrants, Lucy and Sam, who are suddenly alone in a land that pretty much refutes their existence. (laughs) And so it's them fleeing the threats of their western mining town, um, and they set off to bury their father in the only way that will set them free from their past. That is like their goal, the arc of the book, and along the way they encounter all of these really amazing aspects of the ravaged landscape, um, as well as family secrets and sibling rivalry, glimpses of a different future. But it is epic, it's intimate, it's blending of Chinese symbolism and reimagined history and just a really fiercely original language and storytelling. There's a reason everybody loved this book. Yeah, it sounds like it's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. Going off on a high point there, I like it. There's a there's a lot of good stuff here. We have more that we can talk about, but as always, we are out of time. Wow, Jacob, wow. you want to plug us up? So... Everything that you hear on All Booked Up is going to be available at your local library eventually if it's not there now. We have 37 branches all throughout Erie County, so stop on by, check them out. Um, Don't forget to visit our website at www.buffalolib.org. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at All Booked Up Pod. 
And while you're there, well, I guess while you switch over to Instagram, you can follow Naila at, um, I'm just going to spell it out here for you, N-A-I-L-A underscore moves underscore joy right on Instagram. And don't forget to visit her website at themovementofjoy.com and you know, find out when she's going to be performing and what's going on. You know, I'm going to be there. Um, okay, a couple facts to end the show. Do you know that there were more than 17 million Americans of Asian descent in 2010? Um, I had some kind of clue. I was, you know, I was close. Okay. So Asian Americans make up 17.3 million or 5.6% of the U.S. population. Most Asian Americans reside in California, which is home to 5.6 million. Makes sense. Um, New York comes in next with 1.6 million. Um, Hawaii, however, has the largest share of Asian Americans, 57%. Mm, I mean, yeah. Sure, if you're going to come here, you might as well live in paradise. Like, <laughs> plane ride's crazy. Let's just stay here. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, I, totally I believe that. that. Yeah, Asian American growth rate was higher than any other racial group from 2000 to 2010, yeah. according to the census. And hopefully it'll keep going up, man. Sure, no problem there. Um, the Japanese population is the only Asian American group in which the majority is U.S born oh so 73 percent that's very interesting and all asian american subgroups are majority foreign born um so just below the japanese 49 percent of filipinos are likely to describe themselves as you know typical americans Hmm. born in the country civic well i mean technically they are yeah 100 civic engagement in the asian community is super high 48 percent of registered asian american voters which is 3.4 million people turned out to vote in the 2008 presidential election there we go that's hey, what we need that's come on do, people get, get those numbers up man seriously they um accounted for 2.4 percent of all voters up from 2.2 percent in 2006 um, and yeah, and that population of eligible voters is growing. So f- from, it went from like 4.7 million to 7 million. So that's an increase of nearly 50%. So yay, we're getting more voters. <laughs> Anybody who actively wants to go out to vote, we are all for it, everybody, because everybody should be doing it. Especially when 50.6% of Aver- Asian Americans age 25 and older have a bachelor's degree or higher. This is significantly higher than the percentage of all Americans, which is only 30%. Mm-hmm. So yes, please learn things and then go vote. We love all of that. Um, great episode. Thank you again, Naila, for being a part of it. Awesome. Awesome interview over there. Jacob, good luck with your surgery, and we will catch you next time. Bye.